There are people in the world who believe that God, the Almighty One, the creator of the universe, is like a clockmaker. That is to say, he's very distant from his creation. A clockmaker builds the clock and then he winds it up, or in the modern world he puts a battery in it. But then the clockmaker goes on his merry way and he allows the clock to run on its own. That's how many people see God and the world he created. He created it, and then he just lets it go on its own. As Catholic Christians, we do not believe in that kind of God. As Catholics, we believe, as did our Jewish spiritual ancestors, in a God who is very close to us. A God who is intimately involved in human history, as well as in our individual lives. Therefore, it should not surprise us in the least that our three scripture readings today were what they were. There's an election coming up in this country in two days, just in case you're not aware of that. And these readings are perfect. They are perfect to prepare us for that very important event in our nation's history. But you see, that's exactly what we should expect from a God who's deeply involved in our lives and who consequently knows exactly what we need to hear. Take this first reading from the second book of Maccabees. This reading tells us and shows us what eventually happens when a civil government does not believe in religious freedom, which is why freedom of religion needs to be a major issue for Catholics in this election, as it needs to be for Protestants, Muslims, Jews, and all other believers. Here in this story, we see seven sons and their mother brutally murdered by Antiochus IV Epiphanes, the Greek king who was ruling over Israel at the time. Little historical background in this regard. Alexander the Great, you will recall, in the fourth century before Christ, conquered most of the known world at the time. After Alexander the Great's death, his generals divided up his empire, his kingdom. One of those generals was a man named Seleucus. He began what historians refer to as the Seleucid Empire, which eventually included Israel. Antiochus IV Epiphanes was a descendant of Seleucus, who took over as king in 175 BC. Seven years later, in 168 BC, Antiochus invaded the city of Jerusalem, he desecrated the temple there, and he instituted laws that prevented the Jews from practicing their religion freely. Those who violated those laws, those who tried to remain faithful to their Judaism, were immediately put to death, like those seven brothers and their mother that we heard about in that first reading. And by the way, what you heard this morning was the Reader's Digest PG version of this story. If you want the whole thing, the complete version with all the blood and gore, 
Read all of 2 Maccabees 7 sometime soon. Just make sure you don't do it after you eat a big meal. It's that gory. Our situation in the United States right now is not as bad, praise God, as the situation in Israel was at the time of the Maccabees. At least, not yet. But it's moving in that direction and at a lot faster of a pace than many people realize. I'll give you one example of what I mean. In September of this year, the chairman of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, appointed by President Obama in 2011, the chairman of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, wrote in a government report that religious liberty is a quote-unquote code word for discrimination and a host of other evils. Here's the exact quote. This is out of a government document. The phrases religious liberty and religious freedom will stand for nothing except hypocrisy so long as they remain code words for discrimination, intolerance, racism, sexism, homophobia, Islamophobia, Christian supremacy, or any form of intolerance. Translated, that means, if you believe in the gospel message of Jesus Christ, you're a bigot. And you're a bigot who needs to be silenced. I hope you realize, my brothers and sisters, it's a very short step from an attitude like that to the kind of open persecution that King Antiochus, the fourth Epiphanes, engaged in all those years ago. Very short step. Obviously, we need to know where our candidates stand on this very important issue of religious freedom. And please do not be fooled, I've said this before, do not be fooled by those who say that they support freedom of worship. That is not enough. Freedom of religion is what our Constitution guarantees, and that's what we need to demand, and I mean demand, from our civil government. Freedom of religion, you see, is much more than freedom of worship. Freedom of religion means that you can live your private life and your public life according to the dictates of your faith. Freedom of worship means you Christians can do what you want and say what you want within the four walls of your church. But once you're out here in the world with the rest of us, you had better think like we do, you better act like we do, you better live like the rest of us do, or else. There's a big difference. Which brings us to our gospel reading, where the Sadducees express their confusion to Jesus concerning matters related to marriage. Apparently, ours is not the only age in which people have been confused about this particular issue. Well, as Catholics, we should not be confused. We should be crystal clear about the fact that a true marriage can only take place with two people who have the natural potential to procreate, i.e., 
a man and a woman, because children are one of the intrinsic goods of marriage. I don't think it's too much to ask that our civil leaders be clear on this issue themselves. You know, Satan has been at it for a long time now, and he's succeeding to a great extent. He's been working hard in the last 50 years to destroy the traditional nuclear family. And we need people in our government who are going to resist those trends, those destructive trends, because as the family goes, so society goes. Most of the problems we have as a society begin in family. Do you know where the people for whom you intend to vote stand on the marriage issue? You should. You should also know where they stand on the other issues that the people at Catholic Answers have described as non-negotiable for good Catholics, namely abortion, euthanasia, embryonic stem cell research, and human cloning. Those issues are referred to by the people at Catholic Answers as non-negotiable because they're intrinsically evil and they involve direct attacks on innocent human life. This means, for example, that any candidate who supports Planned Parenthood, an organization that has sold the body parts of babies for profit, I mean, how sick do we have to get in this society? Any candidate who supports that organization does not deserve a Catholic's vote, or anyone else's vote for that matter. The words of St. Paul in today's second reading are important in this regard. I'm talking about the line where he prays, and here I quote, that we may be delivered from perverse and wicked people. I told you these readings were perfect, right? What a great prayer. What a great prayer to say a lot during the next few days as we prepare for this election. Oh Lord, please deliver us from perverse and wicked people. Now you might say, but Father Ray, what about other issues like the economy, immigration, and such? Well, here I think it would be good for me to quote from Catholic Answers' voting guide for serious Catholics. There it says the following. Some issues allow for a diversity of opinion, and Catholics are permitted leeway in endorsing or opposing particular policies. This is the case with the questions of when to go to war and when to apply the death penalty. Though the Church urges caution regarding both these issues, it acknowledges that the State has the right to employ them in some circumstances. As Pope Emeritus Benedict once said, back in the days when he was still Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, there may be a legitimate diversity of opinion even among Catholics about waging war and applying the death penalty, but not, however, with regard to abortion and euthanasia. Guy goes on to say, The same is true of many other issues that are the subject of political debate. The best way to help the poor, to manage the economy, to protect the environment, to handle immigration, 
and to provide education, health care, and retirement security. While the underlying principles, such as solidarity with the poor, are non-negotiable, the specific applications being debated politically admit of many options, and so are not non-negotiable in the sense that this guide uses the term. Practically speaking, that means there's no official Catholic Church teaching on how to deal with our economic problems, our immigration problems, or how to reduce dependency on foreign oil, or how to get rid of poverty in our country. In good conscience, Catholics can hold very different views on policies involving these and similar subjects. But the non-negotiables are non-negotiable. Always. At least they are for all good, serious Catholics. For those who may still have some difficulty understanding and accepting all this, let me leave you with this question. If an elected official cannot be counted on to show respect for the most innocent and vulnerable among us, the unborn, the sick, the elderly. How can we trust that person to do the right thing in other situations? How can we trust that person to do what's best for us and what's best for our nation? Think about that.